Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome on to Twitter NBA show postgame. We got to wrap up San Antonio and Houston, an absolute bludgeoning by Houston, giving the Spurs their largest ever halftime playoff deficit of 30 points. Cleveland does what most people expected them to do to Toronto. And then we also, of course, have to get to a preview of Golden State and Utah. So we're going to try and go through with our own analysis first, and then we'll ask for some questions. You can get in with the hashtag Twitter NBA show or in the Periscope feed once we ask for those as well. We're going to try and limit the Periscope questions mostly to just these games and, and your thoughts on it, your maybe your reactions to our commentary. Try to keep this a little bit more contained because we're also going to make this uh, dunked on later on too. So uh, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. And uh, let's get started, Danny, with what was an absolute shellacking by San Antonio, or I'm sorry, by Houston <laughs> of San Antonio. How did they do it? I mean, they did it in, in a, a lot of different ways. They were getting better shots they were making those shots they were they ended up about a little over 45 percent from three 20 of 44 and that's not even during the competitive portion of the game yeah what are we doing this through like the first like three quarters or whatever <laughs> yeah it's yeah. It, it's really hard to figure all that out with this game but i i think there are there are a couple different things that we want to focus on one of them is james harden was very very good in this one 14 assists and his 14 assists that relies a lot on other guys making and shots. every single one of those is a three or a dunk by the way yeah and so, you know, this game had something that was very different from the last round, which is Ryan Anderson, Trevor Ariza played a role in terms of defenses had to pay attention to them in the last round. But today they actually made those shots. And that's so central to what Houston does. Right. I thought that that was really key early because they started off with, at times they would have Kawhi guarding Anderson. Then they mostly went with LaMarcus guarding Anderson in the first quarter. And they ran nice little pick and pop plays. Harden, even though he's going to his right as a righty with the sweep behind the back pass a couple of times to set up Anderson and he hit those deep deep pick and pop threes and then Aldridge couldn't get out of them so then they started switching hard and started abusing that getting to the rim setting up Capella for dunks they were just running very basic D'Antoni actions, but spreading the floor. And then Harden, if they tried to bring someone over to get the roll man, Harden, just a nice little hook pass to the shooter on the weak side, usually someone like Ariza, and he would make that. And then they also worked them when Houston went to their bench and Kawhi also went to their bench. That was one of the big moments of the game as well, early second quarter. It certainly was. And I think one of the more surprising parts of this game was also how well Houston competed defensively. I They have solid defensive personnel but they were really getting after it forcing turnovers in that first three quarters they had 11 steals so that's 11 live ball turnovers and and that's 11 of 12 because the Spurs turned the ball over 12 times and that helped fuel a gigantic fast break disparity it was 27 to 9 in fast break points during the 
first three quarters. Yeah, and 20 of those came in that devastating first half after which they led 69 to 39. Uh, Ariza was three out of six on threes in that course. So it was, it was Anderson and uh, Harden. He, he was spectacular as well. Only 5'11 from the field, but uh, he had seven assists. So he actually had another seven assists in the third, third quarter. quarter as well. And from a per possession standpoint, it was equally as ugly, of course, for the Spurs. Uh, they gave up a 135 offensive rating on 51 possessions, which is way too fast for what the Spurs want to play. And then they had a mere 76 offensive rating for their 39 points on 51 possessions. Also, obviously terrible. So of those numbers, the 69 or the 39 that uh, were scored in the first half, which concerns you more for San Antonio going forward? Originally, at, at first it was the 39, but there were a few plays that the Spurs usually convert. A couple shots by Danny Green, a couple shots by Lamarcus Aldridge. But they can't win if their defense is not substantially better. And there are parts of that that the execution will improve, but there are other parts that their players look to step slow. And the only way to fix slow is to have those guys either be really good in anticipation, knowing what the other team is going to run, or by getting specific players out of the game. Yeah, I agree that it's the defense that concerns me more because our Bayesian prior was that they're going to really struggle to guard Houston. And, and because, granted, the Spurs were the number one defense during the regular year. Uh, it's amazing that Pop got that much out of them during the regular year. He was my coach of the year nominee for a reason. But with Houston, they just make those guys defend in space and they just, they can't do it. Uh, whether it's David Lee, who really, really struggled in space. He trying to switch, he couldn't guard. Uh, Pau Gasol couldn't even guard Ryan Anderson on a switch one-on-one, which wasn't even a switch. It was just a straight ISO. Anderson just drove by him. Pau Gasol had to follow him. Aldridge, it wasn't really much better either. And it, another thing that we have talked about, it, so that's something we've talked about all year. And another thing we talked about all year is was Greg Popovich going to go with Kawhi Leonard at the four? What was the result of him doing that for a mere two minutes, 22 seconds in the first half? So I think you can make an argument that that 222 was the best stretch that the Spurs played in the competitive portion of yeah. this game. Not, even, not a ton of competition no, for that lofty no. honor. And, and even so, they were only outscored him eight to six. That does not include Pau Gasol's free throws technically after the sub was made, but the foul occurred before, so right. I didn't count it. I don't think that's fair. They did get a, they did get a steal. They were two of they, I think they were two of two on three. It just looked better. They're getting penetration and they're yeah. able to kick out and they have like San Antonio shot the best percentage on three pointers of any team in the NBA. They just didn't get it up enough shots because basically they just don't have enough guys standing at the three point line to take three pointers. And you know it looked so much better with more space. I mean the other reason they had all these turnovers was their guys kept dribbling into traffic and then just getting the ball stolen. Well yeah like there was one where Manu Ginobili just dribbled in. There were two guys there just kind of standing standing trying to get in his way and he didn't really have anything that he could do with it but something else we talked about this a fair amount on the twitter nba show but i think it's important to repeat is a definitive stretch in this game came i think was in the first quarter when ryan anderson started hitting shots and so that meant that the rocket not the rocket the rockets made the spurs uncomfortable just basically leaving him and so then that led to marcus aldridge spending more time switched on to james harden which was just christmas day for him yeah it was although i will say this we'll get to what adjustments the spurs can make i actually thought the switching wasn't as bad as maybe we, we might think at first but let's talk about the spurs offense as well and I and mean, we know that houston was hitting their shots that's part of the problem but the spurs aren't going to be a transition team houston is pretty bad in transition defense although they did shore that up in the oklahoma city series that was a good test for them uh but the spurs shot unsustainably badly in the first half they're five out of 13 in the restricted area a lot of just missed bunnies houston capella is an okay rim protector but houston's not some amazing rim protecting team 
And then they also uh, were a mere four out of 17 on three-pointers. And again, we said they're the best three-point shooting team in the NBA by percentage. And to actually get up 17 uh, shots is a lot of shots for them. So I didn't think that their offense was that bad. I did think that Trevor Ariza was awesome on Kawhi Leonard and that maybe the Spurs need to think about some screens to try and force James Harden or a smaller player to guard Kawhi and also potentially slow things down a little bit more uh, just to, to get into an ISO. But like there are a lot of Spurs long twos that were okay shots that they're getting, but the way Houston was getting 27 threes, they weren't going to keep up with them. Uh, but I do think that San Antonio is going to be able to score on Houston in this series overall. I'm not as worried about that part. The defense is the bigger part that worries me. Right, and emblematic of that, Danny Green was, two for nine from three like those shots are yeah. pretty the sick. nine shots actually is great sure you know like that's actually for a guy who's been a good three-point shooter with the exception of last year throughout his career you're if you could get nine threes a game out of danny green that'd be great and he was open on those too. yeah and a guy who needs to step up on both ends of the floor some of it was execution but lamarcus aldridge i thought defensively he didn't play with enough force and then offensively he just needs to take advantage of the mismatches that come his way work hard for good shots and some of the ones that he took were fine and they'll those will go in with time. I'm not that freaked out about him, but he does need to play better than he did. Yeah, and he's got the size advantage against basically whoever it's going to be guarding him in most of these circumstances. It's, all, it's Ryan Anderson. You're not playing a lot him at center. Like he, what he needs to do is he's got to like get his butt into these guys, get in and get a hook shot or a very short jumper instead of going to like a Dirk fadeaway or something. And if they help, then pass out of there and set somebody up. He only had four points on two of six in a first half in which he was a team worst negative thirty one. Yeah, and I mean, and this was certainly an example of a game, and we actually talked about this a little bit with Game 6 of Jazz Clippers, where very few Spurs guys had good games, and generally when almost nobody has a good game, that looks like an aberration and teams get better the next one. But getting better and being competitive, even compared to what they were today, those are two different things. Yeah, it is. Uh, Let's talk, uh, before we get into adjustments, what is your panic level for San Antonio right now? As someone who sagely picked them to win the series in seven games i think it's an eight yeah because yeah. because the issue and it, losing game one at home i mean well yeah not only losing control of the series but the way they lost it confirmed some of the major issues with them and they don't have that many counters they 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 can just regression to the mean will help a lot but that's not everything that's not enough to cover a, a 30 point ass kick well and we we said that before the series that Kawhi was gonna have to do it by himself and i mean he wasn't good enough tonight he was he had some moments early on but overall, you know, four or nine in the first half, like that's not good. I mean, he's got to just be the same guy that he was in the Memphis series. And then something. And if we're talking about worry for the Spurs defense, they sucked in the Memphis series too. And Memphis is like, they've, they're running like, you know, Aaron Harrison and Jamichael Green and James Ennis and, and uh, Wayne Selden out there on the wings, not Eric Gordon and, and Trevor Ariza and Ryan Anderson and Lou Williams. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't say this when we talked about the predictions, but I was leaning towards the Rockets for a vast majority of the Spurs series like I thought the I was going to say pick the Rockets in that series and then the way that they closed it out I kind of went okay I'm going to go back to my pre my my pre-playoffs expectation and I think that Kawhi is good enough to do it and what today reminded me is that it really was a 50-50 proposition for me and I should have maybe waited a little bit more that way but again it's one game you can correct it's a best of seven for a reason but they have to actually make adjustments yeah and especially at home too because a big reason of why I considered picking the Spurs and ultimately 
although I ultimately went with the Rockets, was the fact that they would have home court. And now that they have lost that and they have lost it in such ugly fashion, it's really a, a pretty big concern. But uh, now what can they do going forward here to turn this thing around and get it back? Uh, I mean, because obviously if they lose on Wednesday, we're really done with this yeah. series. Play a lot less with traditional centers out there. And it, that's hard because they don't have the deepest bench in terms of wings. They do have guys. I mean, it was nice to see Jonathan Simmons not only get in in garbage time, but actually play in some of the competitive portion of this game. We didn't see Kyle Anderson during the competitive portion of this game. Manu, I thought he was a little bit better than most of the Memphis series, though that is damning with faint praise. And so getting less David Lee is very important. Getting less Pau Gasol is, is important as well. And the Rockets pose a challenge, though, because both of their traditional centers are, are challenging in some ways to cover for Gasol. And also, obviously, their pick and roll actions and everything Yeah, else. I mean, I think my strategy, there's a number of things that I think that they can try, but in the macro, I think my strategy would be we're just going to defend. And then we're just going to trust that Kawhi Leonard can bring us, it, with and some shooting around him, slowing bring it down us as well? Well, I think slowing it down certainly would help a little bit. And, you know, Tony Parker, who we predicted before the series, would not repeat what he had done in the Memphis series. That certainly was the case tonight. He really struggled with, with Patrick Beverly's pressure um, and, and was bad defensively, well, too. And what Beverly's able to do is he's able to provide pressure when necessary and then dissipate it when he needs to help other places because he works hard and he's very agile. Yeah, and, he, and he's also quick enough that he's able to go under on Parker and Parker can't, like, beat him to the spot when he goes under. Exactly. Like, that's a difference that even I, Connolly had some good moments, but, yeah. like, Memphis and, and, and Beverly, all he's got to do on offense most of the time is just stand in the corner, too. So he's got plenty of energy for defense, whereas Conley, that's not his primary focus. But but back to the Spurs, yeah, I do think that slowing it down, whether it's LaMarcus at the five, he and Kawhi and pick and pop together. You got batteries? No, I'm good. Ah, very good. Uh, he and, and LaMarcus and pick and pop, letting LaMarcus operate a little bit more. And I, I still don't think they have anyone who can guard Kawhi. They got to get Kawhi the ball closer to the basket. Like Trevor Ariza did a great job of denying him and forcing him to catch it way far out on the floor, which not only saps Kawhi's energy, but also it makes it more difficult for him and, and they can trap him more easily on the pick and roll, which well, they did some of. And they can bring other players that he has to finish over and also inspire yeah. more passing. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to try and just get him the ball in a triple threat position 18 feet from the basket more often. So that's something that I think that they can do as well. Uh, obviously, Kawhi at the four would be the other one. And that actually, I think, is more important maybe even for offense than it is for defense because now you can switch most stuff more easily. Um, and then whether I my only guys I would play at center basically would be uh, Deadman and Aldridge. I would just let them... And now they're going to run out of wings. That's another problem. You might have to get some minutes for Lee or Gasol. I'd probably go Bertans maybe even more yeah, but, and you, than, and you than can, those and, guys. And you can go at it with that basic approach and understand that you're not going to get all the way there. Like you make that the, the goal, but not necessarily definitive. And so, and and I think that's a much healthier approach than being like, oh, let's see if we're going to steal minutes for the center, which is something that came up in the first game today. Yeah, I think I would give Mills more minutes than Parker just because again, I mean, I think that like if you have Danny Green and Mills out there and you have Kawhi and LaMarcus, I mean, that's a unit that has enough shooting that you can really stick with Houston. Now they don't have the same philosophy anymore to get as many threes as they used to, to get penetration, move the ball as beautifully as they did. And you really need one more playmaker off the drill since Green is so limited in that area. So maybe Manu then is, is your last guy and you just have to hope that he can hold up defensively and maybe do a little bit more. But you know, for him to play more than 15 or 20 minutes a game is tough. Another small thing I might do is actually start with Kawhi in this at the start of the second quarter and that way with Harden off the floor number one you can 
and really you know prevent uh that big houston bench advantage uh but number two Kawhi can really go to work because they usually don't play ariza during that time either and so maybe they'll switch up and bring ariza in but with lou williams on the floor gordon it's not as good of a defensive line especially with lou williams i would probably hunt lou williams with some small small pick and rolls fix it so that he is stuck on Kawhi, and then get some shooting around him force him to double team and then you go from there uh and and even if they match with ariza they probably won't with beverly so you can create shots with for other guys as well well beverly is in that unit to start the second quarter oh yeah you're right i I was thinking Um, about it differently yeah (laughs) so uh that's about all we have why don't we take a few questions and comments here on this series uh we're gonna basically only uh look at comments for this series or, or these teams in general if we can just to try and keep it a little bit more uh compact you're not quite as free-flowing as as the periscope uh so this is yeah that's a good one we'll save that one for the next section on uh the raptors are people uninterested in the spurs maybe not because uh so should there be additional minutes for Dejounte murray for perimeter defense i think he's probably too inexperienced Uh, although you know i might give him just a little bit of a look because they just don't have anybody else other than Kawhi who can get in the lane right now uh but no i think it's it's likely that that would fail that's more of a desperation game three move they've already lost the first two Uh, somebody said the chances the Spurs bounce back in game two I mean I think I'd would you still have them as favorites in that game that's I, I'm not sure that I would it's close I think I think you have to make well research from Ben Falk has shown that especially when the home team loses game one they almost always that win. they not that they almost always win but they always almost always play much better okay. now they got to play a lot better and Houston probably won't shoot it as well either you know they're not going to get nine steals in the first half again uh, so that that's another thing as well but I I think that you know I would make the Spurs slow light favorites you know i just don't see them going down 0-2 at home they are a, a good team but it wouldn't shock me at all if houston wins this next one i mean they won by 30 in this game yeah. somebody asked should deadman start yeah yeah i think I, I think i would start him i mean i don't know what I, it I says do, about his composure today yeah. but i would do something similar to what i proposed the warriors do with david west which is you start him for like four minutes then go to Kawhi at the four and then be ready to go back to it at some point later either in the first quarter or the beginning of the second uh lamarcus aldridge's trade value probably a little early to discuss that but but i mean if they wanted to like try and make a run at like chris paul or something maybe like but then they're just gonna have no bigs at all that's the problem it's like if they trade him they just have no money and and no space to get bigs. he's all right you still need like deadman he's not gonna resign now like they they're not gonna have space to resign him they want to board rights on him uh you know lee and gasol i mean gasol is probably gonna opt in so he's gonna be there and you can't i mean it's been clear to me for a while that he can't play more than 15 minutes a game although he did play 12 in the first half didn't go too well didn't uh who is the most to gain free agent wise this series deadman would be one for sure you know he he will be a free agent this this is his chance he's been out of the rotation early but i think they're gonna have to go back to him and he, he at least looked like he could move his feet a little bit in pick and roll defense you there, know, there aren't that many free agents in this series i mean um beverly harden you know all the houston yeah houston doesn't there. really have nene would be another one as well i mean some of these big guys i mean david lee is is a free agent gasol about, might be what about there. Patty Mills. Yeah, he's he would be a big one too, I think. But you know, Mills, I think we know what his track record is already. And Lee and Gasol could, you know, if by some miracle they could prove they could stay on the floor against this Houston team. But I just, you know, they have a lot to gain, but probably more to lose. And I think they're going to lose it because they're not going to be good in this series. Yeah, you about ready to move on to Cavs uh, Raps? Let's take one more. How much trouble are the Spurs in this offseason? I think they're actually in a lot of trouble this offseason because they're going to lose Deadman. They're not going to have any room to replace him. And then you know, Gasol's going to opt in. They still have Parker 
on the books that's kind of like overpaid money. Yeah, this is kind of the looks like and they don't want to take the, on any long term. It might money. be the lost year. You know, you just kind of this year was right. kind of that too. To be honest, I know they won sixty games, but I think there's no way they could have expected they're going to compete with the Warriors with this lineup. They just did the best they could. But I think in 2018, then they can really remake the team around Kawhi, a little bit more modern feel that can have some versatility to play with Kawhi at the four, get some real combo forwards on the roster, hopefully get a point guard who can do something off the dribble, and, and maybe they can remake and the get team. better at switching too. I think I think some like sized guys would be good. If Parker retires, the Spurs books are saved. Uh, well, he's why was he going to walk away from 16 million dollars? Guys never do that. No, and he's not that old. He's what like 30, 33, 34. So when I went to Portland, I had a rather harrowing experience. I forgot to pack any underwear, and fortunately, I had rented a car, so I went to the Walmart that was open 24 hours when I made this unfortunate discovery, and I bought one of those store-bought underwear five-packs for the first time in a number of years. That didn't go too well. Uh, they really are just incredibly uncomfortable compared to my favorite underwear, which of course, as longtime listeners of the show know, is MeUndies. MeUndies is designed in LA. They've been sending me some really cool patterns, in fact, and it's made from sustainably sourced micromodal, a fabric that is three times softer than cotton, And if you want to get some of their latest styles and cool patterns, the best way to do that is by saving up to 33% each month with a monthly subscription. So you select your style, your size, plan, and MeUndies will send you underwear they think that you will swoon for each month. But even if you're not ready for a subscription, that's okay because MeUndies is offering you $20 off your first pair. And the way to get that is you go to MeUndies.com slash Capspace, which of course lets them know that you came from us, which is great also easy to remember because we talk about cap space all the time on the program that's meundies.com slash cap space these are the most comfortable pairs of underwear that i have owned thanks to that sustainably sourced micro modal and i think you will agree that's meundies.com slash cap space meundies.com slash cap space uh all right let's uh go now to Cavs and raptors a dispiriting loss would you say for the toronto raptors and dispiriting to me because I thought their offense was just so bad in this game and that was what they really were going to need I think that they had some moments defensively they but their big problem was giving up plays in transition because they couldn't score yeah this there there are different ways that teams can lose games against talented opponents but I think this one was more the Raptors offense betraying their defense than the other way around and that happens but I mean you can look at a couple different things as as concerning factors so Serge Ibaka shot two of eight from mid-range most of those were long twos he was three of three from three which is good you know you want to do that and what what is concerning to me about this for the Raptors is that it wasn't uniformly bad like this wasn't the Spurs where it was a worst case scenario PJ Tucker played well exactly PJ Tucker played well Kyle Lowry had a good first half he didn't play as well in the second half and yet there were still things that 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 Cleveland was just absolutely outclassing them for large portions of the game but I think where I want to kind of really start in terms of the perspective on this is just how Dwayne Casey wants to use Valanchunas moving forward because we talked before the series on our preview which was last night if memory serves about how Valanchunas did not really have much of a place to be in this series and yet Valanchunas yeah he can't play a minute while Fry's on right. the floor so he was and 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 even when he's on the floor with Lowry and Rosen I don't think there's as much of a place to be and while this wasn't entirely JV he was negative 21 in 21 minutes and he's just not their best 
option against the cap yeah and we thought all right it's not the end of the world to start him and then you know they were down like 12 to 3 or whatever it was right away and we're like ah well maybe he just you know probably shouldn't play at all and we floated the idea potentially that they could go with carol ibaka tucker and patterson and make those their four bigs essentially but then you start to run out of wing players as well you run into the problem of trying to guard kevin love in in the post uh, and so that's not that great either but again i i think the bigger problem for me i think they can defend close to well enough i thought they had some good moments especially when they were guarding that fry at center lineup to start the second quarter like yeah, that, they were, they, and, that was and they had stretch. and they had their th- i mean to me it is abundantly clear that their best lineup is larry and derozan and then tucker ibaka and patterson all in the game at the same time because that's really the, i think that lineup i don't think they're going to stop the Cavs. like the, this Cavs team is ridiculous maybe the warriors the only team that might be able to stop them uh but and, and even then it's only going to be for stretches but that that lineup has their best shot and now you know they have guys who can shoot threes tucker's three-point shooting or uh incredibly long two-point shooting with the foot on the line it was encouraging in this game patterson was getting open looks even if he wasn't hitting them uh ibaka was hitting his threes uh but then the other problem they had offensively was just and it was surprising to me because milwaukee did this exact same strategy to them with similar personnel last game and or, or last series and they figured out how to beat it was just the hard hedging uh, of uh, on the pick and roll they just like couldn't beat that right and the trap is something that they've gotten experience dealing with and the way to handle it is to move the ball quickly be decisive and take advantage when advantage can be created and they absolutely did not do that in this game both sometimes the pass was too late there were a couple where Serge Ibaka just kind of held it for an extra beat and that extra beat is huge because it gives opposing defenses enough time to recover and they know they're trapping they know what's going to be expected of them for those next five seconds so if, if you if you let them off the hook then they're going to be able to survive it and if they can survive it then you're not going to beat Cleveland because if, if Cleveland you need to execute almost perfectly if they're better than you and almost damn near everybody is worse than the Cavs are and also I mean Cleveland their transition offense is just so otherworldly you can't turn the ball over against them yeah the, that was a big problem for the the Raps uh, when they did turn it over obviously and you know Lowry was pretty good he had 17 and 10 through the first three quarters uh, DeRozan was not very good he was six out of 15 only got to the foul line for five attempts and he had three really bad turnovers as well that ended up I think all of those were basically pick sixes and DeRozan in particular was just not getting the ball out of his hands quickly enough and then you know when they tried to have Tucker as the role man Tucker would try and go and he couldn't make a play and then Valanchunas in the post continued just a complete inability I mean you'd think as like a huge seven footer he could score on someone like Kevin Love or even when he was getting smaller guys than that on him he was just like turning it over getting the chair pulled on him like and so you know they threw it in the post to him six times and he had either uh, a turnover or a missed shot on all but one of those possessions so if he could be just a little bit better as he has been at times in his career maybe that would give them a little bit more of a boost but I mean this Toronto team has got to light up Cleveland and they just weren't close to that yeah and something else that that hurt the Raptors and I don't know exactly how they're going to fix this is that in those first three quarters Cleveland only turned the ball over four times and only one of those was live ball they had one steal and so you you, as you expect you know that's going to lead to a huge fast break point disparity but there, there actually wasn't as much of one during that stretch again counting it 
it gets complicated. But 18 to 13 in that way, and Cleveland's 18 were absolutely spectacular. I mean, that over the backboard alley oop was one of the just nicest plays, and also the, probably the best example of clowning I've ever seen in a first quarter of a playoff game. It was <laughs> yeah. pretty spectacular. Yeah, I think that was the one that put him up by like 12. Yeah. 12 that, that's when I tweeted Cavs in three. Yeah, initially. And so, yeah, I mean, I think really what they need to do more of is, you know, again, more shorting of the pick and roll, just like in the Bucks series, kind of dummy pick and rolls on one side of the floor. And then the design is, you know, we're not going to try and pound the ball forever here or try to take our guy one-on-one. This is just to activate the defense and swing the ball. And now the real action is going to be on the other side. But that is, uh, you know, the Raptors certainly execute that very intermittently. It's not in their DNA. They have to like think that and they fall right back into their old crappy habits, you know, at a moment's notice. And that's exactly what you need to do to beat Cleveland. You need to make Cleveland make decisions. You need to make them have have to do reads because they, they're not great at defending for a full 24 seconds. But if the Raptors, and I think they did a better job than usual at getting into stuff earlier, but earlier isn't early enough. Yeah, that, that's true too. So uh, K Rico asks, uh, thoughts on PJ Tucker's defense on LeBron? I thought it was as good as could possibly be hoped. And I gave one example. Uh, I mean, there are two plays that really stood out to me. One was where PJ Tucker went under on LeBron and was able to cut him off in the lane and draw an offensive foul call. And then another one was just a play where Tucker was actually beaten, but LeBron got a shoulder past him and Tucker is just so stout that LeBron actually kind of bounced off of him just a little bit. And instead of getting a dunk or a layup, it was more just like a floater, a short floater, an easy shot, but he missed it. And it was just that little bit of difference. Whereas that's Damari Carroll. Damari Carroll is going to go flying into the stands and it's going to be a dunk. Yeah, I thought, I, I mean, we like the Tucker acquisition specifically for this series. And I thought he wasn't a part of the problem. You know, there were other Raptors that certainly were. And I thought DeRozan had a few good possessions defensively too. I mean, he certainly wasn't Sterling out there, but I thought he did a, he did a relatively decent job, had some deflections and everything like that. And I mean, the problem for the Raptors is that they need so many things to go right to beat the Cavs. And it can, you know, like I, I'm not saying they're going to get swept in this series. I don't think they will. But in terms of winning the series, they, it's, you know, it's that confluence of factors. They need their supporting players to do much better than they did today. They need their defense to be crisper. They need their offense to make Cleveland pay. They need a bunch of feedback loops. And yeah. that doing that four times out of six now against a team that's better than you are, it's tough. Well, we also had been really down on the Cavaliers defense and both of us picked them to win this series in yeah. six. But in they did not play well really in any game in that series against Indiana uh, other than the second half when they had that miracle 26 point comeback uh, in game three but in this game they actually they brought it and we got to give them credit Irving was a little bit better he at least had some moments of competing Kevin Love uh, was effective uh, and they weren't able to to the point they weren't able to take advantage of him in pick and roll defense he did a good job on Valanciunas in the post they shut off the offensive glass nearly completely that's something that uh, Valanciunas is supposed to be good at LeBron was actually he had uh, much better help defense from him they got some steals uh DeRozan wasn't able to abuse J.R. Smith as he did at times because again they went to the trap to take the ball out of his hands I would like to see a little bit more kind of just ISO type of stuff from DeRozan and then you know they also would bring help over and again just taking advantage of the fact that the Raptors are not that good at moving the ball from side to side so uh what's next here for the Raptors going forward we talked about the Valanciunas thing I'd like to see more Norman Powell because you know Casey again has to have it drilled into his head that hey we're pretty good with Norman Powell on the floor remember him like it it was tweeted out I think by John Schumann that you know there's something like plus 60 with him on the floor and like negative 60 with him off the floor in these playoffs or something like that yeah and it's if he he gives them a a jolt of energy I think he's executed well I think he plays he plays with more force than you would expect for his size 
I don't want him defending LeBron, but he could do a lot of other things out there on the floor. Yeah, that exact stat, which uh, Rami knows our, uh, a listener was glad enough to send to us, negative uh, 65 in 195 minutes with Powell off the floor, plus 58 in 141 minutes with Powell on the floor from uh, from John Schumann. So, I mean, I think that, I think less, well, see, Demar Carroll only played 15 minutes, but the 15 minutes he played were somewhat high leverage, which is which is a challenge. Like, you want to kind of use him more as a... I mean, I think he could, he could at least not get the Keith Bogans. He could come back in the game. He can sure. hit some threes he's okay defensively i mean i might even give him a shot on Kyrie irving sometime too uh he's probably too slow for that in this point in his career but again your draftsman at straws maybe one of them will come up yeah and i mean i think they need to kind of treat pj tucker's role more like what the rockets did with trevor reza in terms of drafting him on Ka- on Kawhi. you know like so do the equivalent of that with lebron just because he did the best job maybe he won't be able to do it for 36 or i mean lebron plays what like 44 minutes if it's actually a pick yeah he game. played 32 minutes and 30 seconds in the first uh, three quarters of this game. So he <laughs> sat, sat out for three minutes. Um, here's a question. Can the Raptors in future years get back to the Eastern Finals with this core? Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, the, the big concern there is will they be on the same side of the bracket as either Cleveland or Boston if Boston keeps going win now, which they, you know, maybe they're going to interpret this differently. We don't exactly know. But the Raptors are a good team. Like, I think they're, I think they're competitive. I think they're going to be in that mix. Yeah. But I think they're the second best team in the East right now and, yeah, and, and it and, depends whether boston but, makes but there's whether they sign anybody in but, free agency. and the other big risk is that another team takes a significant jump whether that's the bucks probably they would be the most likely team next year and then eventually you know hopefully the six hopefully they end up being mvp candidates in the eastern conference you know maybe at some point in the next decade and then at that point they can be challenged but until that time it'll be harder all right last question here on this one can lowry derozan powell tucker and ibaka work as a small lineup i think you're a little bit too small there Powell trying to guard LeBron. He tried that in the playoffs last year. It failed. He's just, he's too small. Um, Wait, could you put Powell on Love? No, that would be even worse. Like, think, and, and the, the rest would bail out. That lineup, you can use that lineup, but not against Cleveland starters. Like maybe in some of their other configurations, sure, but not five versus starters. Yeah, Powell, Powell is just too small to guard LeBron. And Carroll is really not much better, frankly, but he at least has some experience doing it. I think Powell would get into foul trouble pretty early on LeBron. And, and he had zero success against him last year in the play. Like LeBron will just go into the post and and they have plenty of spacing obviously to make that work too so we're about to preview golden state and utah tickets in golden state are notoriously expensive but if you want to be sure that you are getting the best deal on any tickets whether it's nba playoffs concerts musicals anything that requires tickets essentially SeatGeek is the smartest way to find them for two reasons number one they aggregate ticket selling sites together so now you don't have to worry that if you don't go to the ninth site after you've been to eight you're not missing out on a deal they're in front of you now secondly they rank every ticket based on value so if you look generally where you want to sit you can just pick the best valued tickets you don't have to worry about all right it's ten dollars less but i'm sitting three rows back which one is a better deal SeatGeek's proprietary technology it will rank it for you and so now the ticket buying process used to be this agonizing thing it was like 20 minutes filled with fomo no longer with SeatGeek. you can do it in like 90 seconds with that free SeatGeek app and best of all my listeners can get a 20 dollar rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase the way you do that download the SeatGeek app go into the settings tab click on add a promo code and of course you all know what that promo code is going to be cat space we talk about it all the time on the program 
and you put that in, SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first purchase. And of course, entering that Catspace code lets us, them know that you came from us. So once again, download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code CAPSPACE today. So I, I think the only thing we definitely have left on the docket is to preview Warriors Jazz. Yeah, we got a little news to get to as well. So, uh, and same thing, if you want to give a question on Warriors Jazz with hashtag Twitter NBA show, we'll probably just focus on our own analysis for, you know, 10 minutes or whatever it's going to be here. And then we'll, uh, we'll get to it. So you've you'll, already, yeah. you'll tell when we're looking at this a little bit more. No, I, I've already done this enough. So I want you to start and then I'll react to that. I think that's more fair because I've already, <laughs> my, my opinion's out there. Well, uh, there is the news that Derek Favors is now questionable with a lower back injury between that lower back, which uh, he missed a ton of time for last year and the knee this year. I mean, I think all of that is just related for him at this point. Uh, but you know, for him to be questionable, that's not very good. I even had thought maybe it would make sense to play, start with Favors and Gobert together. Um, now, obviously, that's probably not going to happen. Even if Favors can go, you imagine he'll come off the bench. Gobert also, his mobility a little bit limited, it looked like, on Sunday, even though we didn't see too much of him because of the foul trouble. So we'll see whether he's made any advancements, uh, but he's going to have to defend in space, obviously, quite a bit there. And I mean, I think the bigger thing for me, though, is going to be the Jazz trying to score on the Warriors. I think that the Warriors are going to be able to score pretty well against this Jazz team, especially with, you know, Joe Johnson making him defend in space. That's not something the Clippers were able to do at all. And maybe Joe can do kind of the ISO Joe, get the switch on Steph Curry, those type of plays. Uh, but I just think that the Jazz are not going to be able to score at the rate. But a good indicator to me overall is going to be the pace of play in this series with the, the Warriors, a very fast team, the Jazz slowest pace in the NBA. Right. And a lot of pace, and I was talking about this with David Locke today, a lot of pace is also determined by how much that team can score on offense like Utah can't control the tempo of this game that much if they can't score you know they can get back in transition defense they can slow it down a little bit but the Warriors in semi-transition are still an absolutely deadly team and the best way to kind of think about it for me and I was trying to make this distinction a couple times on Lockdown Warriors is what Golden State tries to do and largely succeeds at is making teams beat you one-on-one and while this the Jazz have an unusual amount of capable ball handlers on the wing particularly Gordon Hayward is wonderful. Ingles has his moments. Joe Johnson has his moments. I don't know that those guys can beat other than like Steph if they get him in one. I'm not sure how confident I would be in those guys really dominating one-on-one, especially considering the Warriors can and will bring help when they have to. Utah has got to kill Saza Pachulia. Rudy Gobert has to just completely Absolutely. destroy him from an athletic standpoint. You know, Pachulia is an excellent defensive rebounder though, so that's one thing that he can do. But just making Pachulia defend and pick and roll and then hopefully getting the ball to Gobert, but uh, Golden State has so many athletes on the other side as well. And they're also going to have to make those second pass threes. So if they get the ball to Gobert, let's say on the roll, then Gobert is going to have to hit the far corner, Joe Ingles or whoever that's going to be for that three, and that guy's going to have to make it. They did that at moments in the Clippers series, but they didn't in game six, and that was a part of what sank them. What is the Jazz best lineup in this series? What is their closing lineup? Especially, well, let's pretend a game is close and the Warriors got to go with Green at center uh, for the last five minutes of the game. Who are you countering with if you're Utah? Yeah, I mean, I would I would definitely have Hill, Gobert, and Hayward out there. And then I would pro- I, I, I generally prefer Hood over Ingles if you have to make a choice between the two. And I would, depending on feel, that last spot would either be Ingles, Johnson, or Favors. I'm not really sure game to game that there's 
there's a definitive like who's the best player. I'd love to see them zig when the Warriors zag with favors a little bit, but there are going to be times that that's completely untenable. And if you know you'd have to like put him on Iguodala, I guess that'd be hard. Yeah, I think you, you might be able to deal with that uh, potentially. Uh, but I also think that the favors Gobert lineup was their only chance in the series because now they're going to try and out small ball the Warriors, and I don't think that that's really it's really possible to do that. And with fa- favors and Gobert together, they still have enough mobility to switch at times if they need to. And then they could have k- tried to really just kill him on the offensive glass, which of course is a, is a Warriors weakness, and just also just make it to their life difficult at the rim. And, and you know, if you do switch out, then you still would have another guy back there who could rebound. And it, I, I just don't think Favors is going to be f- capable of that physically. And I also just don't think that Snyder really likes playing that way. But and then you also even could get maybe some more post ups as well and just muck the game up and slow it down and just do something different and take advantage of your own strengths. Because if they go with Joe Johnson at the four, now they're just pl- trying to play the Warriors game it's in a, a worse invitation. way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's not going to Without work. the transition point. And that's not going to work again. And, that, and that's exactly where I wanted to go. This was a big point I was talking about today is that the Warriors are substantially better as a half court defensive team than a transition defensive team. And in except for those wonderful anomalies in the Clippers series, like at the end of that quarter when I think that was Hayward went streaking down the floor and got yeah. the finish. Like the Jazz run so rarely that it's like seeing a Haley's Comet. Like that it's it's and that's such a big problem against Golden State because it avoids what they're worst at. And the Jazz can counter that. I've been agitating for it for Quinn Snyder's basically his entire tenure that they should run more than they do i understand the structural limitations of it but they're gonna have a big problem there and then the other part which i think is the x factor if you want to call it that in this series is that they don't have anybody that i would trust checking kevin durant what about gordon hayward do you think he can I, I mean, absolutely I, yeah he, he's one of the better options i think he, he's I think, strong well, enough he's one of the better options but do you like i mean like in the nba i'm saying like i, I think he's he's you know would be a top 10 guy that because he's got the the strength and he's got the size that is probably one of my the matchups i'm least worried about uh i'm worried about clay thompson i'm worried about steph because just because it's more it's more about who your big is defending stuff and, and so now if gobert has to get way out on the floor and, and you're going to double team i don't think gobert is going to have the mobility to switch that well and and that gets into something else i want to talk about which is that chris paul and steph curry are both wonderful pick and roll or dho you know however you want to define it action action players but they succeed in very different ways paul is good at snaking the pick and roll finding his mid-range shot with curry the most dangerous point often is that mesh point of the of the screen or whatever you want to call it at that point and that puts a very different stress on the defense and the jazz are going to have to have the guy way up they're going to have to make some very difficult choices with that and that leads to concession yeah another thing too is that if javel mcgee is in the game when they have gobert but they're also going small now utah doesn't have another helper to take mcgee and you could see mcgee getting a lot of alley-oops if they're trying to you know get way up a on stuff in the pick and roll so i do think i mean for the warriors the concerns are more you know how the staff and and kevin durant reintegration as well it does seem though with kd having been out for so long with the mcl injury that he will be operating more as a play finisher uh, than maybe you know starting the play so i think the, the staff played so well in that game four uh, which was seems like a lifetime ago in portland it pretty much uh, so he's really running hot right now kb kd is trying to find his footing so i think that the hierarchy issues that maybe they had earlier in the year uh, are muted now to some degree and if Steph really starts to struggle then you know they can always try to get KD going uh, directly and it'll be interesting to see when Mike Brown
Brown goes to Durant or not Durant, Draymond at center, and how that works in this series. He is you know a diff- has his own philosophies, his different approach. Still feels weird to say Mike Brown, doesn't it? Uh, of course it does. Yeah, but I do think again, there's now that the culture has been emplaced, I think to some degree that Brown will does things a little bit better than Kerr in the playoffs. Where you know there's no kumbaya Brown where we're going to see minutes for like McAdoo or or something like that. You know, especially if they're down, like he's gonna he's gonna put the his foot on the gas and go with more Draymond at center. Go with what he thinks the best lineups are for for longer. And I think there's just kind of less screwing around. I think you know from Mike Brown in a playoff setting than you're going to see from Steve Kerr, who's still I think that regular season ethos is great for him in terms of getting everybody to contribute. But I, I think now in the playoffs, like you can't be worried about that anymore. Yeah, Anderson Verge is not going to come in the game. <laughs> yeah, Mike Brown revenge finals for LeBron is, is the candidate. That would be an interesting story, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it, I, I don't know that there are many direct parallels of that, like especially with it being an interim coach. I mean, like there are coaches going against their former team, like Alex Hannum coached the Sixers and Wilt actually against his former team, the Warriors, and won that finals. But those Sixers teams were way better. Uh, is this series more likely to be a sweep or to go six? Whew. If the Jazz, if I had more confidence in them being healthy and staying healthy, I would say six. I think the Jazz are a very good matchup against the Warriors, but think back to the last time we saw Golden State play. They put an absolute whooping on the Blazers. And the Blazers, you know, that wasn't their best foot forward. Yusuf Nurkic didn't play. You got a lot of things there. But that was one of the most dominant stretches I've seen from any team recently. And if they play three quarters of that, I think that they'll they'll beat almost anybody. Yeah, I guess we have to do our official predictions. We do momentarily, and uh, it is your turn to go first. But to react to what you just said, Utah gave the Warriors problems in Utah last year. They did both of those games, though, are with a healthy Favors and a healthy Gobert or healthy ish. I mean, Gobert wasn't as good now as he uh, offensively as he is now. And they didn't have then. George Hill then, right? And they didn't have George Hill. That's true, and that lost them one of those games last year. Uh, but then we never saw these teams at anywhere close to full strength playing against each other this year and i think that you know maybe utah can do some things that we just don't realize that they can do um you know but i would have hoped that the way the way to do that was favors and gobert together to me i think that boris dia is going to just get completely roasted in this series if they try and start him that which i think quinn probably will he's just going to look really bad they have enough good defenders that he can't really get into the post and you know him defending in space is just going to be a complete massacre if he ever gets switched on to durant or stuff it's just completely over and then joe johnson same thing i mean he doesn't have the mobility and joe ingle is a nice defensive player in terms of competing and staying with guys but you know he doesn't have a ton of quickness and you know they're just they're gonna have to help too much on Steph I don't see how they're gonna deal with him they don't have the ability to trap him and get back they don't have great switch defenders who can guard Steph that's really the best way to do it and so if you're putting two guys on Steph like you're done and remember that they're also not going to be able to get much, if any, help from whoever is guarding Clay Thompson because you can't right. you can't do that. So you're functionally playing four on four, and the Jazz just don't have the personnel, in in my opinion, to do that. You know, they they don't have many places to help. And the Warriors, one of the underrated parts of this team that's so devastating is that they have so many good passers that when you create you when you create an advantage with the Warriors, it generally that advantage doesn't stop until someone gets an open shot. 
and that's really hard to handle. The Jazz do some of that. You know, I think they did some of that in Game 7, but the Warriors are they're the prime example of a team that just keeps pushing it until it's over. All right, what's your prediction? You Warriors, in, Warriors in five. Uh, I'm going to go four. Interesting. If Utah were a little healthier, I might go five, but I just I don't think that the, it always seems like Hood still is not really 100%. Like, they're really going to need him in this series defensively, like him trying to chase around Clay Thompson. I'm not sure how well that's going to work. And and, and the, wor- the Warriors are going to be super focused in Salt Lake City because they can only go to, like, the Benihana and whatever. I, I like Salt Lake City. I, I know. said that already. I, I enjoy my time there. You need but to I, give them your I may list. I may not have the same interests as uh, Matt Barnes, though, when I go to Salt Lake City. So, uh, All right, so there it is. Danny Warriors in five. I've got a sweep. And let's uh, hit some news here real quick. What do we got? Let's let's see. A um, few things on just future contract stuff. Chris Haynes reporting that New Orleans forward Dante Cunningham will decline his player option and become a free agent cunningham was due about three million in the last year of his contract and i think we're gonna see now a lot of guys declining player options just because of and using last year's market as a proxy it's gonna be a better market than it was before last year but it's not gonna be nearly what it was last year um but i think for cunningham as a guy especially if you want to bring him in as a backup four he's had to play the three far too much in new orleans because you know they can never get an actual real three and d wing in new orleans so he's had to play the three too much there and i think they will have full bird rights on him you know if they want to bring him back for a little more money after they've done their other business and you know, his cap hold will be you know a little bit less than six million dollars so maybe we'll see him return to new orleans for a little more money or a little more years uh because i mean he is a, a decent player as a backup for but he also could end up going elsewhere yeah and it's it's going to be an interesting situation with him just in terms of what is there a team that's going to fall in love with him like is or is he just going to be a guy that people try on other players that kind of fill his niche and then they go okay Dante Cunningham's available and that just generally hurts the market a little bit speaking of hurting the market I think we can go to Will Barton Will Barton you know one of the many one of the myriad shooting guards on the Denver Nuggets reportedly is not going to seek an extension with the team which could have been as much as four years and 39 million should Denver have been willing to offer for that which we don't know yeah and uh chris haynes also had that report i don't know what the point of leaking that now is because i mean, maybe maybe actually it, part of the point is to say hey if you're going to trade me and then we're going to extend you uh you know he wouldn't be interested in the extension maybe that's part of it to make it clear to wherever he gets traded that uh you know he wouldn't be and interested he said in he wanted to extension. stay at the trade deadline last year now i don't know why he would want to stay because he is a firm fourth in their guard hierarchy you would imagine and although he does i mean i think he sees himself as a starting shooting guard and he averages you know a nice number of points per game but i don't think any gms see him as good enough defensively to be a starting shooting guard and he's basically a one position defender and not really that good at the uh two either so if he's not viewed as a plus defender it becomes a lot harder he has shot the ball very well in three pointers recently so i don't know i mean if it were me especially due to like the playing time and injury risk i would be all over that four year three 39 million dollar extension but you know he signed a very below market deal in restricted free agency for three million a year three years and i think he feels like you know i sold myself short last time i want to get out on the market and see what's out there and what's interesting about the concept of discouraging a trade is that i think the best case scenario for him especially with the cap kind of flatlining is to get on a team where they want him where he can have a role maybe he's their third guard as opposed to fourth he would be great on the pistons actually like a team like that or or orlando 
window, just a team that doesn't have any yeah. kind of shot creation. Yeah, and then where I'm going with this is also then a team that could use the benefit of him having full bird rights and then would not have cap flexibility. So that gets a little bit sticky with the Pistons just because then it's luxury tax. Like That was part of the reason why I fake traded him to the Wizards at various points in the last couple of years because the Wizards were going to be in that spot. And if he doesn't want to get traded, I mean, what leverage does he have? I mean, the, not only do the do the Nuggets have those guys, but think about that they have Malik Beasley behind him. That's right. And, and, and he needs to play too. I think yeah. he could be good. He's going to be a second year guy. He's going to be cost controlled for another two years after this coming season. So two years. And, and they also the desperately need to get better on defense. And Beasley has a lot more upside there. Yeah, he does. He's bigger. I think he's like 6'5". I mean, he's maybe not bigger, but he's just yeah. could be better. He's, he's probably be a little stronger and, yeah. you know, just, but has more of a defensive mentality. Um, right. Staying with the Nuggets, uh, Jamal Murray underwent surgery for uh, a couple of surgeries, actually. Uh, it was core muscle related, so maybe something like a hernia or something like that. Wait, he, somebody said he played the whole year with a sports hernia. Yeah, okay, maybe that's what it was then. Um, and I mean, he played incredibly well considering that. So hopefully he'll be ready to go. You know, that's probably like a two-month type of recovery. Uh, I doubt we will see him in Summer League, which is too bad because I like Summer League and he was one of the most exciting players who would be there. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, hopefully not too bad, but I would have liked to see him get a chance to work on his body and his quickness a little bit more. And so uh, he's obviously someone that we're very, very high on and you know I hope will be the starting point guard next year, but he is getting a little bit of a setback as far as that goal now. Certainly, and, and we'll have to see what he looks like at the beginning of next year. But if he played this whole year with a sports hernia, then I'm excited to see what he looks like next year. And we should have made this a seamless transition when we were talking about Dante Cunningham, but the, the day-to-day situation that is both the coach and the general manager for Dante Cunningham's current team, technically, the New Orleans Pelicans. Scott Kushner for The Advocate down in New Orleans reporting that Gentry, Demps, and various league sources have all said it is a day-to-day situation, indicating there's no pressure from the calendar until Mickey Loomis finishes his vacation or the NFL draft to choose when the team will make a firm decision over whether they'll move how in can, a new direction. How can you say that there's no pressure from the calendar when the draft and free agency are so close? Like, that is such an insane thing for, and it seems like it came from multiple people, to think, like, that all matters so Well, much. we went through this same shit last year with them, too. Yeah. You remember, like, there was just, nobody knew whether Demps was sticking around. He was, like, supposed to have a press conference that got canceled, and then three weeks later, it's like, oh, well, I, nothing's been announced. I guess they're keeping him. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, it's true. They're probably not going to have their own first-round draft pick, but still, I mean, they, you need a GM. You need to be able to make those moves. Uh, in other free agency news, the Warriors announced that Kevin Durant will hold the fantasy basketball experience in Oakland in mid-September. Uh, yeah, well, that's probably a good sign that he's sticking around, but I mean, obviously things can always change. You never know, but uh, certainly seems like, especially with some of Andre Iguodala's comments that he's made as well, that this whole situation of him re-signing seems to have kind of been worked out, and the more you hear these, the more you think that, well, KD's probably just going to take the $31 million next year rather than the 35 which would enable them to stay over the cap and then have full bird rights on Iguodala. Well, and there was even there was even a comment, he was being very coy at the groundbreaking for the Chase Center about the idea that I didn't do this for one year. I think yeah. that's the line that he said. And, you know, obviously, he, it, he you don't say he doesn't want to decrease his leverage. His leverage doesn't matter. He has, he has infinite leverage. I mean, he can basically just get what he wants. But it makes sense for him to get to do that $31 million if he wants to have better teammates. And it certainly appears that he does. And while I wrote a piece talking about how Andre Guadalla could do kind of a Manu Ginobili situation and take less money for one year and then 
than useful bird rights. That's a little bit different, and you're asking a lot from Andre because you can't agree to anything in the future because then you get a Joe Smith situation, and that's not good. Last thing here, Les Alexander was fined $100,000 for a confrontation with the referee whose name escapes me at the moment in Game 5 of the OKC series. Pretty weird because usually this will happen when like they're down, you know, his team is down in the series. That's when guys will go crazy like this, but it was it was like completely inappropriate. I mean, he just he was got up from his seat at midcourt, goes down while the ball is in play, and starts just like standing next to the referee and berating him. Like he just like walked with purpose like 25 feet down the sideline and just started yelling at the referee to the point that the referee like turned around. I mean, usually like if that's a fan or something, they're trained not to do that. So it was just like, and then he immediately just walked back. It was just a very odd like lack of impulse control and a well-deserved fine in my opinion maybe even should have been higher yeah and you you want to make sure that you dissuade and punish that sort of behavior and it is unique that an owner can actually be punished by the league in a very more in a much more specific way than other people can like if that was just some joe schmo that was doing there maybe maybe they could ban him from the arena or something but he's not donald sterling so you're not gonna do that all right i think we are done here thanks so much for joining us here on the twitter nba show and uh, if you want to support this little endeavor patreon.com slash duncan larue because we do this show for free and uh that's a great way to support us that's really the only reason we're doing that right now so we're hopeful that we'll get enough patrons that uh we'll be able to continue and uh what else i have a couple plugs um i wrote a piece for the sporting news on the challenges of trading centers this summer it was inspired by me thinking about valanchunas not being a part of the raptors kind of their future necessarily just because he's expensive he's not bad his contract's not bad and then i started thinking about well who needs a center and so that was an issue uh previewed warriors jazz in audio form with david Locke beyond doing it here for locked on warriors and i believe he's using it for locked on jazz as well and then i will preview it in all likelihood in text form for the athletic in the very near future like next 12 hours all right it's playoff time we got tons of content follow me on periscope or twitter nate duncan nba if you want to get notified of these shows there's a little bell next to my name on the twitter mobile app that activates a drop down menu and then you can choose to get a notification when this user goes live uh or if you follow me on periscope you can activate push notifications there thanks so much for watching and we will be back on wednesday talk to y'all then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.